Hello and welcome to another episode of Wealthy Expat. This week I've got Tiffy on the show with me. Tiffy's the general manager of our office in Sydney. Um, Tiffy's also an expat living in Australia now, so she owns property in New Zealand and then also a couple in Australia. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Tiffy, uh, and I look forward to chatting through to you today in our episode. Thanks for having me, Chris. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm doing very well. It's uh, It's been a, quite a grey day or grey morning in London today. Um, but what to expect at second nature here now almost. But how have you been? How's your weekend been? First weekend of lockdown. First weekend of lockdown. It was good that we had some very, very nice weather and we can exercise outside. So all in all, can't complain. Definitely. You've got to take advantage of it. I'm very, very jealous. But, oh, well, it is what it is. Hopefully you guys aren't locked up for too long. Fingers crossed that it's only, uh, what, is it two weeks at the moment that they've said? It is 14 days for the time being. Okay, interesting. And is it just New South Wales or have they extended it into Victoria and Queensland now? My understanding is that Victoria is still okay. I, I'm guessing Queensland is still okay, but there is restriction between traveling between one state and another, really. Okay, that's fair enough. Okay, fair enough. Well, interesting. Hopefully, hopefully you're not locked up for too long. Fingers crossed you're out of it can get back to the office, I guess, as possible, <laughs> as much as you want to. Um, okay, so this today I thought we'd talk about a number of topics. Obviously, you've got some experience in investing overseas. Um, a lot of the people, clients will be dealing with over in the UK, lots of the Australians that are looking to invest back home. So um, we'll be able, I think they'll relate with quite a lot of what you'll be able to, to provide today. Um, dig into some of your tips, you could say, into investing overseas, what you've seen um, some of the worst tips you've maybe experienced and some of the, the better tips that you've received. Um, and then we can talk about some of the tax benefits as well, obviously investing property and the deductions that you can take away from it. Um, and yeah, just a bit, a bit more about your experience in investment, investment sure. in overseas property, really. So, sure. um, yeah. Should so I, I guess just start off? Where would we like to start? So, I guess. How did you how did you make your first investment? What what was really the process, I guess, behind you stepping onto the property ladder in regards to investments? Okay. Important to say that I didn't start that long ago. So I purchased my first property January 2019. And so far now I've been able to invest in five properties in the two and a half years that I started investing. Now I don't own 100% of all of my properties. I actually started doing joint venture agreements, which means that I have a partnership um, with someone else. And at the beginning, I was owning a small percentage of the properties. And then I started growing. And now I own 100% of some of those properties. Now, the reason why I decided to invest overseas is because the first thing that um, I was able to figure out was what I actually wanted in my life. And if I know what I want, I can go and get it. And for me, I decided I wanted financial freedom. Um, I don't know if you've covered this topic in other podcasts, Chris. No. No, we haven't yet. The okay. First. <laughs> so financial freedom or financial independence, anyone can have their own definitions. But for me is having the passive income of my investments cover my cost of living. It does not mean I'm rich because if I keep my cost of living low, then it's way easier to become 
financially free. Whereas if I keep increasing my cost of living every time that I get a, a salary increase, for instance, then it will become harder and harder for me to achieve financial freedom. So that's what I decided I wanted. And once I decided that that was my objective, I thought that I wanted to start investing in using the cash flow strategy. Okay. Now, the reason why I decided to start investing in New Zealand is because at that point in time, it made more sense to me than investing in Australia going for a cash flow strategy. Now, for those who don't know what a cash flow strategy is, basically, I'm still investing in um, developed countries. I would not go to developing markets like Argentina to invest because I still want some sure. safety around my investments. But um, I was investing in what I call tier three cities and tier three suburbs. So I would not want to be living in any of those cities and suburbs that I bought properties. And, and the cost of the property is quite low compared to the rent that you'll perceive. Okay. Sure. And that's how I defined that I wanted to start investing in, let's say, New Zealand. Yeah. Now, tip Number one is if you know what you want, you can create a strategy. It's way easier. Very hard when Chris or any of the wealthy team members are talking to clients who have no clue uh, like as, as yeah. to what they're wanting or looking for, right? Exactly. I guess another question on that point would be, how did you go about your research with um, identifying an area that in New Zealand, for example, that you wanted to, to start off with? What Kind of drove you to some of the tier three areas that you were looking at okay so i actually did a property investment course and no matter whether i'm looking at property in australia new zealand uk us whatever whatever country yeah. i always follow the same rules and sure. i try to look at those cities that have a good track record on high growth i always go for high growth whether it's capital growth or cash flow i still want high growth yeah there's definitely some targets as to population and minimal populations because of course the smaller the population usually the cheaper the property but i want to make sure that it's not a very small market where so like the amount of people that will want to live in the area and the amount of work Basically, I don't want to be dependent on just one industry. And if that industry turns around like mining, then I'm yeah. in a very hard situation. Of course. Yeah. Looking for those areas that are already starting to be established and have, you know, infrastructure projects or connectivity projects already. Exactly. And, and once I've checked which are the areas that are seeing the most growth in a country and I've filtered out population, I will rank them from cheaper to more expensive. That's on the cash flow strategy, which is completely different to the capital growth. And that's why I, what I did. And this analysis you have to be doing all the time because whatever is like are the best, best cities right now in six months time, that could have changed. Yeah, okay. definitely. And the shift of gentrification, you could say. The areas have changed. They're just the way in which we are moving and living now. Exactly. Different. And also like, Populations could have changed, like whether it's external internal migrations, but also price points can change a lot in a very right. reduced amount of time. 
or to look at Australia this last six months or 12 months, you could say now, but it's just gone crazy. 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 What you want, though. It's what you want and, and it's the good and the bad. Once you've got into a market that keeps going ballistic and it's like, yay for the properties that you own. But Just if you ride it. Buying, yeah. If you want to keep buying, it's <laughs> tough because now you no longer can find anything in the price points that you were finding one or two years ago. Of course, yeah. And your expectations would have stayed the same almost, thinking it's only been 12 months, it's only been six months, I can get in for the same price points. And, Forget and, uh, it. The harsh reality. Exactly. So that's an interesting one. Okay. It is. So getting started for me, um, like anyone who will buy their first property, the first one is always the hardest one you'll ever do. There's always going to be some fear in there and you just need to take the jump at some point and go yeah. for it. And um, you can put a lot of work up front, always run your numbers and that's what we help clients with, running their numbers and, and, and putting everything together, all of the research together. Uh, but for yeah. me, whereas I see the positive of basing it on numbers and being happy and getting excited when numbers are exciting, some people have that need to be able to go and see properties. I bought properties without seeing them. And I'm happy that I did that. Okay. Okay. And how did you go about that process? How, you know, say there's a property, say it was in Argentina or say New Zealand, wherever it may be, but how did you go about that without inspecting the property? Did you have someone on hand to, to go and look at it for you or yeah, what was, yeah. What was kind of your stage with that? That's where your team plays a massive role. And part of putting the work up front is putting the energy and time to find and put together that amazing team. And you will have um, like, an accountant, a solicitor, a mortgage broker, a property manager, someone that you that gives you good advice, whether it's other investors, whether it's a team finding properties. I've worked with a sourcing agent in New Zealand in my last deal. I, I'm, I yeah. am now an expert in Australia and not in New Zealand. And I had to pay someone to do what I do here in Australia back in New Zealand. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, you know if they're doing a good job or not, at least. <laughs> hundred percent. And then I realized yeah. what, what a great service we provide in Australia because my experience wasn't the best with this, this particular sourcing agent. Um, I was expecting the same level of service that we provide to our clients and I wasn't getting it. And that's cool. where you start getting a little bit disappointed. Of course, yeah, you're used to a certain level of service and you're not delivered. That's interesting. I guess that's a lesson to take away from it to almost manage those expectations in, in regards to what services might be at hand to you. Um, but at least, you know, being wealthy, the team's a strong team and we're all over the process and having you in charge as well. Uh, it's definitely, definitely plays in our favor, uh, especially when there's going to be people in England trying to buy back home in Australia. Yeah. And for me, how, how my journey has gone is I've had, um, Luck, the luck element always is there, but also I think I create my own luck. I decided to gain knowledge, get started, push very hard. And those properties that I bought in January and March 2019, more than doubled in value in wow. two years. Yeah. It's all, <laughs> yeah, it's always similar to what you were saying about what, not waiting almost, you know, if, if you're in a position to hit the button or hit the trigger and and get the property bought then 
what are you waiting for? Every day that you miss out on is a day of capital growth or, you know, any, it's just the potential that you're missing out on, on that investment um, that you should be acting on now, really, in a sense. And that's not trying to force anyone to do something that they don't want to, but it's, uh, it's, it's better than sitting around and you don't want money for this in this day and age. You don't really want your money sitting in the bank. It's, it doesn't do a great deal for you. And um, it's almost a bad place to put your money at the moment. So, you've got the means it makes perfect sense to um to get straight into the property market the investment market and what you've done i suppose and taking the taking the plunge now you've got five of them so the addiction it, starts it's <laughs> an addiction and also um sometimes you can learn a lot of things through other people's experience but you also need to get yourself involved and there are some learnings that you will only learn if you go and do it, right? So for yeah. me, one of my biggest learnings is um, I've changed strategies. So I mentioned that my um, objective is clear and I'm going for financial freedom. And that's why I started in New Zealand with a cash flow strategy. But then I also understood that no investment is perfect. And the cash flow strategy usually gets a lot of um, sort of low quality tenants. So I mentioned that I'm in tier three cities, tier three suburbs, where there is a lot of like internal migration, people changing jobs and like quality of tenants is far from great. So that's the downside for a cash flow, whereas the cash flow looks amazing on paper. When it comes to reality and the headaches it creates a cash flow strategy, you need to have a passion to be able to deal with all of that. And that's what I realized, okay, it's great that I started this way. It's great that through my first investment this year, I was able to go release equity and buy a property 100% equity release without putting any of my savings. And that's why I bought this year again in New Zealand. But... I decided that I wanted to start investing in tier A cities like Sydney or Melbourne because I wanted to not have to deal with as many problems um, with tenants and going more for a capital growth strategy that can also take me towards financial freedom. It's interesting. I guess just out of interest for myself, what sort of areas in New Zealand have you bought in? Or what are the places that you have bought in New Zealand? Maybe okay. there's a couple of Kiwi listeners. Uh, who knows? But For where, sure. where were those spots? So I bought first in a place called Wanganui. It's in the North Island, uh, up, like southwest, um, like yep. closer to Wellington. Mostly out of the big cities is closer to Wellington. It's probably a four-hour drive from Wellington. And then I went to... Timaru and Temuka, which are in the South Island, in that proximity to Christchurch. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay, now, I, I had to leave Wanganui, and that's where I'm saying things change all the time. When I went to remortgage and buy something with the money out of the remortgage, which originally I wanted to bring to Australia, but the banks would only release equity if I bought other property in New Zealand. So I was like, okay, what's going on? Wanganui, so unaffordable, more than doubling prices. It doesn't make sense anymore. It's more expensive than buying in Australia. 
And that's where I ended in Timaru and Temuka um, because they've seen uh, good growth in the last year, but slower growth than Wanganui over the last two, three years. So that's why it has become a yeah. bit more affordable, really. Interesting. Hmm. But that's um, that'll be interesting, I guess. I haven't <laughs> I haven't looked into New Zealand a great deal, but it's interesting to see that it's not only the Australian market at the moment that's really performing quite well, um, but in, at an international level, almost um, the UK market at the moment seems to be charging on, and the uh, even the higher end of the market. I think the sales over five and a half mil at the moment in the UK have have gone up about seventy percent. So there's a uh, there's money walking out the door really in regards to property, which is it's interesting to see despite being through such hard times over here. Um, but it's good to see that the rebounds happening, and at an international level, there seems to be more confidence back in the market and. Things are happening now. Deals are happening. Property's changing hands, and and the market's booming. You could say um, it is. So it's it's interesting to know. It's interesting to know. I guess with um, on tax logistics, essentially, you're probably uh, a lot more accustomed to this than I am. But we, I guess, in Australia, you can deduct on some of your depreciating assets within the building. Um, I guess, do you want to give us a bit of a rundown on that? Yeah, it's not financial advice, but we could we could give some uh, some examples of it really for sure so as chris has just mentioned we're not allowed to give financial advice but i can talk out of the experience of my own properties and what i've learned um so i want to say that i think the biggest reason before i go into tax implications the biggest reason why i would want to invest in australia if i am an aussie but living whether it's UK or anywhere else in the world, really. Yeah. The number one situation is that anyone that is living abroad is not contributing to their superannuation. Basically, it's going to be very tough when you Aussies come back to Australia. Even if you're like still young, I want to say 40 is very young, but still you probably missed quite a few years of superannuation. And in the long term, that has a massive impact on how much money you will have when you retire. So that is a huge reason why if I were an Aussie living overseas, I would want to invest in property in Australia because I want to make sure that I keep building investments that I'm not wanting you to wait to your retirement. I'm not saying you have to wait, but you need a plan. Yeah, and exactly. And if you're not contributing to that super, you need to have an alternative pension plan in place, essentially. It's a very good point. A hundred percent. And when you buy in Australia, if you're an Aussie again, you know you are born and raised in Australia. So you know the rules of the game. For me, it was pretty hard to change my mindset and behave like any Aussie would behave just because I have my own limiting beliefs from being born and raised in a developing country like Argentina. Yeah, okay? of course. How, how is the mentality of investing in Argentina in regards to property? It's, it's a ridiculous mentality where we, we don't trust our governments and the macroeconomy, it's it just... I wouldn't be able to explain in just a podcast how it behaves, but we are having more than 50% annual inflation. And wow. you, I would not invest in a developing country just because I know if I bring my money there, like developing countries love when you bring 
any yeah. foreign currency into the country. No, you want to take it out. That's a massive nightmare. Like you will get maybe 50% taxed on just trying to take the wow. money out. Like I, I don't even want to give advice, but it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And for me, having that mindset that I'm investing now in stable economies and that over the last 10, 20, 30 years, Australian property has performed so well. It's just outstanding, right? So if I think I'm wanting to build wealth and achieve financial freedom, when I look around the world and I see the most wealthy people, I believe the stats say that 70% of those top 500 wealthy people have built their wealth through real estate. So for me, that's an amazing reason yeah. to go into property versus any other asset class. Now, and it's a real asset too. I think that's what draws us to it, is physically being able to, to touch it, almost opposed to stocks and shares or crypto or whatever it may be. It's easier to understand how it works. And then for me, it's amazing to have, this is the hardest concept to understand, the power, power of leverage. But what, what I mean by this in very simple terms is if I invest 50K in stocks or crypto and I haven't leveraged myself, I haven't asked for that money elsewhere, I just went and put my savings there. If that grows at a 10%, then it's 10% out of that 50K. Whereas if I've put 50K towards a 500K purchase price, when that property grows at 10%, it's not the 50K that have yeah. grown, but it's the full 500K purchase price that has grown at 10%. It's grown, definitely. Yeah, put less money in and, and get more of a return from it yeah. almost and now, benefit from that growth. Chris, I realize I have not answered any of the questions you asked me. So mentality <laughs> in Argentina right. is we hate debt because our debt carries like interest rates of 30% because the economy is not stable enough. There's too much inflation, okay? So we do the opposite to what a normal rational person in a, in a normal country would do, whereas we, it, it's a bad word to have um, debt if you're buying property in, in Argentina, but then you go to the supermarket or you buy clothes and you pay um, with a credit card in 24 months with no interest rate because you know that your money will be losing value over the next 24 months. So you are getting into debt for things that won't generate a return for you. They're bad debt. Yeah. Like there, there's no income on that that you, you'll get in the future. And then for all of the things that we should be using leverage for, we don't. Sounds logical. Yeah, so it does require actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be switched on when when approaching it. So does that mean people in Argentina are almost paying for their houses in full full up month cash almost, and paying the whole asking price? That's cash. why when when I hear anyone my age in Australia saying house is so unaffordable, I will never be able to access a property. I I come from a country where it's it's even harder because we have a tenth of the salary that you get in Australia with a very similar cost of living. 
and then you have to pay all cash. Properties will be cheaper, but you're also talking having to save 100 to 150K for your own home. So saving that amount of money, like anyone my age, if they bought properties because their parents, they're fortunate enough that their parents could yeah. help. Otherwise, it's impossible. It's a long time saving. That's almost waiting to, you know, waiting 10, 20, 30 years of, of full time work and then eventually getting on the ladder. So, hundred percent. Ideal. It's interesting. Okay. Well, I guess going back to the tax point now. So we're talking about the, the deductions of um, deductions that you can make from your real estate assets in Australia. So, did you want to explain? Yes. In a bit more detail, how you go about that. So I like investments because they're treated just like any business is treated. Where whereas as as us normal persons working as employees in a company our single biggest expense is tax like we get paid and automatically that money gets taken away from us we don't even okay. see that tax in in property investing you behave like a, a company which means that you receive income and then you're able to deduct all of your expenses and you only pay tax on any profit that you would have made, okay? Now, when we are running our numbers, um, we will take any rental income and we will look at what it means when you deduct your property management fees, council rates, water rates, insurance, maintenance of things that break. We also estimate some, some money for that. And of course, your mortgage. And then we understand what's our cash flow situation. So cash flow is net income, income minus expenses. And we understand yep. that before taxes and after taxes, because if you are buying a brand new property, then you are able to um, make something that I call a paper loss. So it's a non-cash deduction, basically all of you, the government says you are able to depreciate your property, like the bricks of your property for the first 40 years of it. And you're able to yep. depreciate the fixtures and fittings for the first 10 years of that life. Okay. And that's not money coming out of your bank account. You're not losing money every month. But when you're going to the ATO and doing a tax return, that acts as another um, expense. Okay. Sure. So okay, interesting. everyone is different. Everyone has different objectives. And I yep. mentioned my objective is cash flow and, and, and financial freedom. But some people will come to yeah. us saying, I have a super high income and I'm happy to go. Like I have a few properties and now I'm at that stage where I want to go for a more advanced type of property where I'm happy to go for a higher purchase price. I know that my yeah. cash flow could be negative even before tax. And if that's what the client wants, we'll find them that. And then anything that they lose before taxes and with the depreciation, then they'll be deducting from their income and offsetting that tax that they pay year on year. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, because I think it's going to be an important thing for people to remember over here when, when investing back home that you have that 40 years of, depreciation on the bricks and mortar and you know the, the bones essentially of the building and then 10 years on the uh the fittings and fixtures that 
deeper inside. So that that comes down to what your washing machines and your, uh, your dry the your wet appliances, essentially, you can say as well, couldn't you? And all those curtains, carpets, all sorts. So it's uh, I think it's definitely something that play be beneficial. So you might be able to give some examples, but with someone living over here and we kind of touched on it earlier, so you're earning Great British Pounds in income. How do you actually go about reporting that in Australia, for example? It's probably something a bit a bit too deep for now maybe, but um, I guess there's also that point whether it counts as a, you actually put it on your income in Australia, do we have to provide that, that source of information? Or, so uh, I want to say that first I would always involve my accountant. And if you don't have an accountant where Chris and I and the wealthy team can always recommend some great accountants because Definitely. every person's situation will be different. And I think it will depend on a country by country scenario because some country, countries will get double taxed and others won't, I'm guessing. Um, so it, you have to, like, I cannot give a rule of thumb for anyone really, right? Now, I, I want people to understand is that if your objective is, hey, I want to create a cash flow or have a neutral or positively geared property pre-tax because I'm at this point in time for the next two years, I'm not paying any tax in Australia. I'm working overseas. Then that's clear instructions for us to go and find amazing deals that will deliver on a strong cash flow pre-tax yeah. so that right now, you won't get any tax back because you're not paying any tax in Australia. But if in your plans, you're hoping to go back to Australia in two years time, then Definitely. for sure, by the time you're back, it's still positively geared pre-tax. Exactly. But when you claim, you do your tax claim with the ATO, you will have yeah. extra deductions like the depreciation that will allow you to reduce the tax you pay. I think that would be very beneficial. I guess just explaining that to, to people overseas as well is it will. I guess you'll be able to explain it better than I would. But the um, the way in which the ten year depreciation works and the the forty year depreciation is it's based off you not living in the property. Is that right? Or if you've lived in the property, you can still claim on the bricks and mortar, and uh, and if you they're not as much on the the fittings and fixtures. But is that correct? So if, say someone had bought a property over here. Back in Australia, we've got still, you know, they go back two years into owning the property. They've got eight years left, essentially, on, on their depreciation. Is that how it would work in a sense? You're right. So there's a few things that you can claim as an investor that you can't, cannot claim when you are living in a property. So all of your expenses, the interest you pay on your mortgage and the depreciation. All of those things, if it's your own home, there's nothing you can do about it. Like there's no tax deduction. Whereas as an investment, you're behaving as a business. So all of the ex expenses come before you do your tax return. Now, what you were just mentioning about depreciation, um, it is true that the law was updated in 2017. Whereas before you could have um, lived in that property and then moved out make that property an investment and claim the depreciation of the fixtures and fittings. Now the law has been updated to say that if you live at any point in within those first 10 years, you, you live in the property, the moment that you convert it back or for the first time into yeah. an investment, 
you no longer can claim that depreciation of the fixtures and fittings, but you can claim the depreciation of the um, the construction, the build itself. Building. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Um, I guess what else? So if we actually, another key point that I'm sure people over here will be able to relate to would be how did you go about your funding whilst as you were probably in Australia at the time, but being overseas and getting your funding, um, did you have any issues with that? Did you, for your New Zealand property, did you get the mortgage in Australia or was that all done in New Zealand? So this is the rule of thumb of what my experience has been. Whenever you're getting a property in a certain country, you will have to fund it in that country. Okay, so if I'm investing in Australia, I need to get a mortgage or some sort of loan in Australia, most likely. Most likely, not always. The same with New Zealand. Okay, so I I actually had to prove my income in Australia, and probably it's it's a bit tougher. I get more questions asked, but that's fine. And I want to share a personal experience, which is I actually had to start using third-tiered lending. Some people will call that hard money lending. And basically, you pay a higher interest rate and get less questions asked. And the reason why I did that in particular is because no bank wanted to lend me money at the beginning in New Zealand. So I was paying an 8.9 interest rate. And my numbers still worked. It was a short-term solution. Really? It yeah, and that's the thing. So some people will tell me like, oh, 4.5%, like that's craziness. So like, if, if your numbers work, just go for it. And yeah, sometimes people get really caught on the whole interest rate and you can always remortgage. I'm not saying remortgaging is easy because it. Yeah. I thought it was going to be easier than what it actually was. <laughs> I thought I was going to be able to remortgage in three months like and that. suddenly, yeah, like that. And no, it took me two years. But you can remortgage wow. every two years. You get and there. Yeah, exactly. You two get years there. is fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so you can get you can get lending, and I, I would suggest that anyone who's an Aussie living overseas wanting to invest in Australia or even non-Aussies living overseas wanting to invest in Australia, yeah. there's second and third tier lenders that will definitely talk to you and give okay. you some, some good Especially. deals. Better than my 8.9% for sure. <laughs> it's better now. Yeah. I guess that goes back to the point around having that good team around you, having the right mortgage broker, solicitor, accountant, and making sure the process is as seamless as possible. Um, and when you've got a team on hand in, in Sydney and you guys fly around the country looking at our sites, all the projects that we're working on all the time. So it's good having the, the eyes, on the, eyes on the ground um, and the confidence. It, it instills confidence in investors over here. And you guys are established at the team in Australia, established team and well set up and, and things are going well over there. So I think uh, with, yeah, with the right team around you, you can make it, make it work. I guess as we close the conversation, is there any top tips that you'd like to give before we go? I guess we touched on a few of them. You just mentioned kind of some before, um, but if there was any top tips or worst investment tips that you've received and, and would like to share, uh, we're all ears. Okay, some tips. No matter what, how much money you've got, even if you think it's not enough to invest, if you are eager to invest, then you should be contacting Chris because you might be surprised that you might need a lot less money than what you thought you needed to begin with, okay? 
then sometimes this um it's not for everyone but if you really want to make it happen and you don't have enough money then there's other ways around it like i know it, my experience i'm not 100% of the people but now i've put myself in situations where i've found investors who will own property with me as a joint venture agreement i've gone and raised money with angel investors i've done hard money lending i've done traditional lending i what like There's so many ways Indeed. to find Brickler, the deal. Well, there's all different ways of getting on the ladder now. There's so many ways. So you can make it happen. You just need to want to make it happen. And until you don't take action and get started, like nothing will happen. So when people come to me saying, oh, I feel like there's a lot of risk. To me, the riskier thing you could be doing right now is leaving your money in a bank account that gives you almost zero interest rate on your return like and your so inflation yeah the inflation is higher so basically you're losing money every single day so to me you manage risk with knowledge and the team in my experience has been my biggest like if i tell you focus on something is finding a great team and i always say this i i'm usually like low profile and and i don't think that i'm great like i would never say that out loud but the wealthy team <laughs> is outstanding like we we don't We've sell ourselves enough for the amount like the level of service that we deliver and how much we care like it's not it's the care like we actually yeah. enjoy what we do and treat we it like, it. exactly treat it like it's your own it's your own little baby your own investment property be a part of the whole process definitely i agree it's uh it is good to see it's a great team of people and so. we we will recommend only things that we would buy ourselves and i've had like fortunate enough one of the the wealthy um projects i i absolutely loved and i was like i'm buying one and i had yeah. seven friends follow and and that's it like when like <laughs> if i believe in it and i would sell it to my friends and my family then other people can believe in it basically there's trust in everyone exactly mm. they're not thinking oh she just wants to make a quick commission it's the it's being able to relate to it, definitely so that's good well thank you very much for coming on the show today tiff it's been great to speak to you um and i hope everything goes well with growing that portfolio i'm sure you'll have next time you speak you'll probably have 10 under the belt um but it's been great to speak to you and i've uh, I really appreciated it so thank you Um, and then for everyone that's listening, I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Um, don't forget to subscribe and like the the show on Spotify or YouTube, whatever you're watching on today. Um, and I look forward to yeah, the next chat with the the next guest. And until then, thank you very much. Sweet thank time. you, Chris. Bye bye.